We will take our text beginning at Acts chapter 10, verse 44. You heard the beginning of this account. This is the outcome of Peter's trip to Joppa four days after the vision experienced by Cornelius. And we have these words, Acts 10.44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they were, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. This account comes to mind because today is Pentecost Sunday. This experience of Cornelius and those who had gathered in the house was not on the day or commemorating the Pentecost, nor were they Jews, which was what made it so remarkable to Peter and those Jewish brethren who had traveled with him from Joppa to Caesarea. It marked the transition of the apostolic understanding with respect to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus had told the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, they continued to deliver mostly the message to the Jewish nation. And here and there, a Gentile would embrace it. But now, due to the vision that Peter had in the same chapter, they came to understand through Peter's report that the gospel indeed was to the whosoever will, including the Jewish people. But it gives us confidence uh, to know that God will empower anyone, anywhere, who has a similar hunger for God that we read here of Cornelius. A personal hunger of one can lead to a revival of many. And we've seen that pattern take place over the years where, well, the song that I heard sung early on when I came into the gospel was something to the order of it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And it only takes one hungry soul to maybe challenge peers to also develop and cultivate that hunger to where there's an insatiable desire to meet with God. And that, of course, can lead to, can lead to a revival. And with camp meeting coming, it's certainly on our minds. We can schedule camp meeting, but you cannot schedule a revival. God sends a stirring. We can present to him a hunger and a desire to draw closer to him, and we're challenged to do that. That is what Cornelius had. He just simply had a desire to uh, meet with God and to know God better. He had a lot of things going with him to begin with, but uh, he simply lacked the understanding to know how to continue his walk with the Lord. He was a Gentile. He was a centurion. We read of other centurions in the Bible. But for the most part, these Roman soldiers were ungodly individuals. Cornelius was marked by being just the opposite. We read in the scriptures that he 
He was devout, so he lived, he lived carefully. And it must have been amongst the Roman army that there was no chief or no captain like Cornelius. Those 100 who served under him must have been the envy of the rest of the army. They thought, if I could only have a captain and be accountable to one like Cornelius. So he was unique in that sense. He was devout, which is to say he was, he was pious. He was godly. He made a conscious decision to be devoted to God. May we be challenged as individuals to make a conscious decision to be devoted to God. That's what consecration is. It is to set our lives apart from everything and everyone else to present our beings, a living sacrifice to God, which Paul said is as a reasonable service. Cornelius did that. He was, we read, uh, devout, and we also read that he feared God with his household. Godliness or piety begins at home. It's always rewarding to come to understand that what we see publicly exists privately. And if you want to know about any individual, you go into the home, which we don't, we don't do that. But if we could do that, we would inquire at home in terms of husbands and wives or children and parents. How do they interact one with another? Is, is what we see at church what exists at home? Well, in the case of Cornelius, it was. It makes one wonder if his children were also envied by the children of other soldiers who did not live as Cornelius lived. It's, it's a unique thing in this uh, generation for kids to have a mom and dad who love God and to love each other. So when they go into the classroom, it, it can be enlightening to them, or maybe more enlightening to the parents when they finally uh, come to understand that it's not like that in other homes. But it can be like that in every home. And it starts with a hunger and a desire to be devoted to God. He lived carefully and he lived prayerfully, we see, because he prayed to God always. There's a lot of emphasis in the church world today on worship, but not so much on prayer. Worship without a prayer is like a good-looking car with a dead battery. You can sit in it, but it's not going to get you anywhere unless you're parked on a hill and it's headed downtown and somebody gives you a push. But the outcome is not going to be something you desire. So we must be or follow the pattern of a Cornelius and pray to God always. So we prayed at home, probably prayed at work. We prayed and, and looked to God A prayer reminds us to look uh, upward and inward rather than outward. Prayerlessness causes us to look all about us. But we want to look higher than all about us, don't we? We want to look heaven's way. And we certainly want to look within that we might search out our own hearts to be sure that we are what God would have us to be. Prayer saves us. 
Nobody gets saved without praying. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Or words with that similar meaning. We ask God to forgive our sins. Prayer saves us. Prayer keeps us. Prayer clears the clutter from our hearts and our minds. Prayer keeps us focused on the, the Lord, and that's what we, what we want. Prayer changes our uh, focus from the problems to the solution. And Jesus is the solution. That's not to say every one of our problems uh, will be solved in this life, but uh, one thing is sure, as we prayerfully look to God uh, throughout any challenges that confront us, we can have the peace that God and the assurance that God uh, knows the outcome, and we give him the glory for that. Well, Cornelius had a, a ninth-hour vision, <clears throat> and the language of the angel suggests that though he was not a, a Jew, he was somewhat familiar with the Jewish ways because uh, he understood that daily prayers and, and alms, or his prayers and alms were accepted at the same hour that we read about in Leviticus 2, the same, not only the same hour, but the same moment that uh, offerings were made in the, temp in the temple, we read that the priests were to take a, a particular offering uh, of it, a handful of flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, and all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to make an offering by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. He didn't view his Italian uh, heritage as a problem. In fact, he captured the spirit of what most Jewish people missed, even those who presented themselves at the temple and made the offerings. Well, Cornelius understood it. Memorials are reminders. When you look at the Washington Monument in, Washington, in D.C., or even photos of it, it reminds you of our first president. Well, the prayers and the alms of Cornelius as they ascended up before God reminded God of Cornelius. God reminds us that he exists right along. Let's remind God that we exist. And we do that by consecrating our hearts and lives and living carefully and prayerfully. And that's what he had going for us. We can capture the attention uh, of God. Psalm 141 Verse 2, the psalmist said, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense, referring to this offering as well, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Cornelius was meeting these conditions at the same time of that evening sacrifice, looking heaven's way that God might look his way, and God did. So it was revealed to him to send uh, people to Joppa, to Simon the Tanner's house, 
Joppa was by the seashore. So was um, this Caesarea, uh, different than the Caesarea Philippi. This was also a coastal port a city. So 30 miles south is uh, Joppa, where Simon Peter was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. So some people there, uh, the, the angel told him. And he had people. He had a devout soldier. Well, that's no surprise. He was a devout man. If you want to know about people, look around at who they, or rather, not people. We look inward. If you want to know about yourself, look at who you associate yourself with. You're like them. If you want to know about yourself, look at that. And if you don't like that uh, picture, then, uh, well, do what Cornelius did. He surrounded himself with others of similar mind, others who had a hunger for God, others that were devoted to God, others who lived prayerfully and carefully. So he sent a devout soldier and two others of the household and sent them uh, to Simon Peter. And the, the next morning they departed. It's about 30 miles away, which uh, we're told was about a day and one half a journey. So they went there. Meantime, Cornelius seems to have said, <clears throat> let's, let's do this while we remain here at home. Let's organize a prayer meeting. Now that's a novel idea for someone who wants to seek the face of God and if someone has a hunger and a desire to know of God, let's organize a prayer meeting. In our circles, it's already been organized. You don't need to worry about it. Just come when those prayer meetings exist and look to God and you'll find others of, of like mind who uh, also want to pray. You can exert prayer pressure, peer pressure. You can exert peer pressure even amongst those that you hang around with. Are they saved? Do you know whether or not they're saved? I'm not suggesting that you buttonhole anyone, by the way. But you can provoke them to good works. Find out carefully, cautiously, are you saved? Get saved. Why aren't you saved? Be saved. Do you pray? Encourage one another to pray to take advantage of the prayer opportunities. If you have a hunger, it will help you that others share in having their own hunger, certainly. But where two or three are gathered, Jesus is in our midst, and he will meet with us. So we can do that. We want to be quicker to talk to God, particularly when we come to the house of the Lord, than we are to speak to one another. Not to say we should not speak to one another, because we want to do that as well. Certainly, there's some great value in fellowship. But let's remember to speak with the Lord. This is a house of prayer, and we have every opportunity uh, to pray. So they were praying. In the meantime, what they didn't know, this man, Simon Peter, who it appears none of them had ever met, nor even were hardly aware uh, existed, he was praying. And he had his own experience uh, that day on the rooftop. That's where he found a place to pray. He was hungry too. The hungry individual does find a spot where he or she can retreat and 
commune with the Lord. We don't know what Peter was praying for. He was a man who had uh, walked with the Lord and heard Jesus teach, for one thing, but after the day of Pentecost, had participated in many miracles which the Lord had orchestrated. So he he knew the power of God and the power of prayer to be sure, but he had not risen to some elevated state where he no longer needed to pray. He retreated to the roof there and was in prayer. When God showed him a vision, he was perplexed at at what that vision was meaning. Meantime, as he pondered these things, there was someone calling out, someone at the door, looking for Simon Peter. Here at this house, belonging to Simon the Tanner. I don't know why uh, Peter was there, how he knew Simon the Tanner, what was happening along those lines. But God had orchestrated this trip, and there he was. And so now he is uh, awakened out of his um, prayerful state as he ponders, what does this mean? And there at the door uh, were some men, three of them, who said, we've come from Cornelius, uh, up uh, north of here. And God gave him a vision. He was told in that vision to come to this house and to ask for Simon Peter to come up up our way. Well, Simon Peter wondered about it. These were Gentiles, and it was not lawful for Jewish people to associate with Gentiles. But God was breaking down that wall. He'd already broken it down. They just didn't come to that understanding yet. And so he immediately discerned that, all right, I'm seeing what this vision meant. I heard Jesus say, say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. No limitations. It's whosoever will. There's there's no uh, class distinction of, of any kind. So he went a day and a half back and appears. And four days, we read, after that occurred, he ended up there from uh, in um, Caesarea with Cornelius and uh, those three. Simon Peter, meanwhile, took six with him. So you have those ten, and they, they go into the house, and we find that Cornelius waited for them, and they called together his kinsmen and near friends. So how many was that? Well, how many kinsmen and near friends do you have? What if we showed up at your house, ten people? And you were hungry for God. You needed God's uh, help. You wanted to get an understanding of what it took to serve God better. You would call together your people, your family, those who have like interests, and maybe some that you thought maybe didn't have interests, but you wanted them to have interests. So you bring them all together. And they held a cottage meeting. They didn't call it that, but um, that's what happens. And that's how many of our branch churches began Someone had a hunger for God. And so they called together their friends and their kinsmen. And they began to have prayer meetings or Bible studies or go through the Sunday school material when, they, when there was not a nearby apostolic faith church. That's how I could tell you a number of churches that uh, have begun that way and still exist today. And uh, one common denominator, no matter how they uh, did it, and nowadays they uh, tune this way and watch some of these uh, webcasts, but the common denominator is when it's all said and done, what do they do? They do what Cornelius and his people did. They pray because they're hungry for God. They want to know the Lord. That's, that's what we do. This is no cottage meeting uh, by any means, 
But it, one is not necessarily better than the other. We, we seize the opportunities we have. God will meet with us if we have that hunger and that desire to meet with Him. But a key component here is it began with one. It began with Cornelius. That desire and that uh, hunger to know more of God. So Peter walked in that door, found all of these people waiting for him, and uh, he, he said, For what intent have you sent for me? What do you want? Why would you call for me? Well, that was a, that was a good question. And uh, Cornelius expressed a description of the vision. Immediately, therefore, he said, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore... Are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? Talk about a hunger. Talk about the product of a hunger. Just tell us what we need to do and we'll do it. Instruct us. Not only hunger for, uh, for God, hunger for guidance. Hunger to... They didn't interrogate him and said, Why... Uh, why do you suggest this, or why do you suggest that? Just, just say, tell us what we need to do, and we're going to do it. And we read there. We don't read of any music. Reminds us of the dictator of the dictator sermons, where they met on the flight deck of the USS Enterprise during World War II, and had no soloists, no songbooks, no preacher. Uh, but they had a hunger for God, and God saw that hunger and rewarded them. Uh, so it is here. We don't know if there were any of the six that came with Peter. If, he, if they were told, now you uh, testify and tell your story how you came to God, and now you do that, and now one of you sing or sing in a, a sextet, put that together. I don't think Peter sang a solo, but who knows if he did or not. It doesn't much matter. But uh, one thing that does matter is the outcome. The outcome of a hunger. And we've seen it uh, over the years. We cannot schedule these events. They happen in some ways spontaneously. We can uh, present to the Lord a determination. We schedule camp meeting. We cannot predict if Jesus tarries that long. Uh, the outcome of the camp meeting, it, it need not be a church-wide revival. We pray that it can be. But it, it can be an individual Revival. It, it starts with one. It starts with a hunger. Uh, we cannot control, uh, nor would we, what happens in other lives. We can control what our life presents to the Lord. And uh, oftentimes, as I said at the outset, uh, one hunger uh, can lead to a widespread uh, stirring. Uh, but even if it doesn't, I wasn't saved during a revival. I was saved in 1974. I've heard of revivals. The late 40s, the late 60s, 2001, it was around for that one, all right, and can witness to that. Uh, but one element of all three of those events that comes to mind is everyone who jumped on board during those uh, prayer meetings didn't stick with it. We thank God for those who did. What really counts isn't what happens during the high points, it's what happens day to day during the points in between. That hunger can be sustained. I want the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. And uh, so now uh, we read there the, Peter's message. He opened his mouth and said, 
as they inquired of him, what, what should we do of a truth? He said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted in him. If you simply do God's will, present your life to, to live for the Lord, God will accept that. He asks for no more of you than he asks for anyone else, but he asks for all of you, same as he asks of everyone else. I heard early on that consecration with reservations is no consecration at all. It's not, it's not a living sacrifice if you just present a portion of what you have to offer the Lord. He wants it all. Does it cost or does it pay? Well, you get what you pay for, and it doesn't really cost. It, it does pay, but we don't do it because it pays. We do it because God is a God of heaven, and he restored our soul. He saved us. He delivered us. We want to spend he- heaven uh, with him in eternity. So the, the, the gospel is cheap. We've also heard at any cost. And it's true. It's Cornelius, he understood that he did not need to be a descendant of Abraham. He did not need to be Italian. He, he, he just simply needed to be all that God wanted him to be. He was already totally uh, surrendered. And we see here that the power fell. We see through this that God is willing to use and orchestrate extraordinary measures and circumstances to satisfy one who is hungry for him. And these that were with Peter had traveled with him, the six, they were astonished, amazed, because upon the Gentiles the Holy Ghost was poured. They lacked the understanding that this uh, wonderful way was available to all. Well, we're a product of uh, the latter rain gospel. These were a product of the, of the early rain of the gospel. But the power of Pentecost need not be restricted to this Pentecost Sunday. It's available anytime, anywhere, to anyone who has a hunger for God. Do you have that hunger? If you lack it, ask God to send it. But sometimes you need to pray when, when you don't feel like praying. Pray, prayer is not always automatic. Well, it's automatic if you see disaster ahead and you think, oh, God, help me. But uh, prayer just simply takes work on your knees. You look heaven's way, but you have a promise. You have a promise that the God of Pentecost, the first uh, Pentecost Sunday there in Acts 2, is the God of this day. He's the God of yesterday and the God of tomorrow. We're going to have a song of invitation. We encourage all of you to pray, commune with God. Look heaven's way. God will meet with you. God will honor your hunger as you do in this house of prayer.